0: Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Andrew Kraus. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight. And I co-founded InventRight 23 years ago with Mr. Stephen Key. And we've been coaching and mentoring inventors ever since. We've had students in over 65 countries. A while since we did an audit on that. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's 70 or something. Um, Every little small country counts, which is great. And we love helping people around the world which you know i'll I'll just and i see a bunch of people already have questions so we'll jump into the questions really soon here um you can do licensing from anywhere in the world doesn't matter where you live doesn't matter if you're in a third world country a first world country a second world country whatever the heck that is and um they don't care they just want you to have good ideas so you can do this from anywhere in the world you can do it with very little money too Um, you see a little bit 75 bucks to file a provisional patent a few bucks for a sell sheet Virtual prototype, maybe, or make maybe make a prototype, um, and so a lot of projects that are simple, you could literally spend less than three, four hundred dollars, definitely under five hundred for a lot of them. Not all of them, by any means. I've had people spend huge amounts of money on their or projects, but if you pick your projects carefully, um, I think licensing is the great equalizer. You don't might not have enough money or the desire to run a business, but you don't need to when you're licensing. So you know because it's that big company's money, it's their distribution and you know you're you're tapping into their workforce as well so and then you get a royalty on every single unit so that's fantastic let's jump in um and do some q a here if you guys could start typing your questions um off and on i have problems with my microphone so i'm wearing this geeky headset to make sure that everything is working you guys can hear me okay um if somebody could type in yes i think somebody would have typed in by now um I can't hear you if that's the case, but if somebody could type in yes, they could hear me. That would be great. Okay. There we go. Thanks, guys. We're good. Nobody more needs to type in yes. Um, Although yes is a very positive word. I like it. So if you guys want to type in yes, that's great. I'll just keep paging down until I get to the question. Um, Waleed said, who is a regular, hi, Andrew, um, a supposed situation, what if more than one company says they are interested? That's actually extremely common. Um, it's not uncommon for our students to reach out to 30 companies and you get more than one that's interested. And we I love answering that question. You're gonna move forward with every company as if the other company doesn't exist. You're not gonna pit them against each other. They say, Who else are you showing this to? You're gonna say, Well, of course I'm shopping it around, but I can't share that. And everything anybody else shares with me is confidential. Anything you share with me is confidential. And they're like, Oh, okay, that that's gonna have you come off as very very professional so it's not a problem guys so if you have interest let's say you, you let's say you got a new kitchen cutting board and you reach out to 35 companies okay and four show interest you move forward with everyone as if the other ones don't exist they naturally fall off okay it's very rare that we get one of our students that is in the final contract or in the contract stage with multiple companies they might you know we need to get some quotes we need to talk to so and so and and there's just they just naturally fall off now you know you might call 35 companies and you get one interested you might get four interested you might get none interested but then you push it back out six months later and you do a deal then because um, a lot of times they're just busy when they tell you no it might have been they said no because they're too busy OK, and they didn't want to give you an inkling they liked it. There are too many projects they're working on. They said not at this time or not a right match or whatever. And you reach back out six months later and you you license it to the same company that said no. Um, but getting interest from multiple is not unusual at all. And you want to move forward at everyone as if the other ones didn't exist and you do not pit them against each other. That's amateur hours sometimes new people want to do that, and they think they think they're being so clever by suggesting that and i'm like that's not clever at all that's just stupid. Um, So, and also don't share anything with one company with another company, Um, if you don't bring it up, most of the times they won't there is a point at which. being involved with multiple is can be problematic and i don't see this happen that often but let's say they start spending a bunch of money okay you haven't signed a deal yet but they spent eight thousand dollars on some research and or a fancy prototype or something like that that's when you need to be careful you know so did you have the proper conversations to let them know you're still shopping around did you talk to them about what the next steps are? If they just went off and did that on their own, that's not really your fault. That does happen sometimes. Usually it happens when you haven't been as involved with the process as you should have been, so you're in the know, so you can see that coming. Um, but it's extremely rare. I can think of only two incidences in 23 years where um, uh, a student of ours is in the final contract stages, and the inventor needed to tell one of them, I've gone with another company, and they got really upset. They're like two in 23 years. So um, what would be a mistake is, and this is what a, a lot of our students will tend to do when they're new, is they'll get interest from a company and they'll stop calling more companies. Sometimes that could be okay. The vast majority of the time you do not want to do that. And I've stated that before on these live streams, but let's say you go back and forth. Let's say you get interest from a company, say it's early on in the process and they're showing interest. And there's a, usually it's at least one to three months, between one and three months from the time you get interest till the time you sign a deal can be longer without a doubt but that's the the average one to three months so let's say you go back and forth with this company and then after three months they go oh we decide we're not interested because of this or that and and you're like oh okay and then you start calling more companies let's say you just call four or five you get another one interested and and then they go back and forth with them for two and a half months oh we decide not we're not interested because of this or that well That's going to drag this process out beyond belief, but what if you had got interest from the first one you'd reached out to the second one and everyone else, and you got all those irons in the fire, you know it won't take over there's no it should never take you over here to do this, and it never will, which is what the PPA gives you if you're simultaneously reaching out to more companies now. The one exception is they say, well, we want to spend eight grand on this prototype and stuff. You kind of vet them and you're like, cool with that. Okay, there might be, a, then that might be a time to go, okay, this company is financially committing. There's no contract yet that I, I won't reach out to more companies. But that's a giant mistake. It'll take you forever. You'll feel frustrated. You need to get all the irons in the fire to, to all the companies right from the get-go. So, uh, But that was a great question, Wally. Um, Mike said, what is the difference between the premium plus provisional patent application and the full patent application packages and event rate offers? We we didn't offer that. We don't offer that anymore. Um, it's not on our website anymore, Micah. Stephen and other co-founder thought, because our whole approach to licensing guys is um why do you want to go out and spend eight or ten or twelve grand on a patent when you don't know if there's any interest yet? Use our software, or smart IP software, file a provisional patent, file it for 70 bucks, 75 bucks. You've got a whole year to fish off the peer and see if there's any interest. Why would you take the financial risk to file a full utility patent? Now, people before they found us or what have you, they filed a full utility, and we go, okay, great, that's you're going to utilize that, but let's not do that again because that's not usually the right thing to do for 95, 98% of products out there. Okay, utilize the year the provisional gives you to see if there's interest. So, but because, and we've always been about giving people what we know they need not what they think they need because there's an endless list of there's invention promotion companies and patent attorneys and prototypers that just cater to what the inventor falsely believes that they need um because they're misinformed and we're your coach your mentor your teacher so we've always felt like we're better than that and it might come across as a little bit arrogant even to go well why are you doing that because We're trying to keep people's costs down and their risks down so they can license products, the rest of their life. But so our other co-founder, Stephen, he said, you know, people are just some people are just insisting on filing patents, not provisionals, but patents. So why don't we have a package where we will, we won't, but will um will refer them to attorney that will file a full utility or provisional for them instead of guiding them to file their provisional and so we had it up for a while i think we sold one which doesn't surprise me because we teach the opposite of that so we tried it for a while because we're like, okay, if somebody's going to insist on file, I talk to different people and I, I discourage them from doing it. I'm like, no, you could just use our software, file a provisional. To um, so me, that's part of the reason why we didn't sell it too. But we just wanted for those very insistent people to make that option. So we removed that option for our website. Um, so right now, Mike, you just use our Smart IP software that you get with our coaching program to file. A provisional patent application its just that simple. Now we're back to keeping it simple, keeping it low cost. Um, if you absolutely have to file a utility patent and you're a student, I would have a talk with you first and go, why Why do you need to do that? And then I usually when people go through their logic, I show them the holes in their logic. Now, once in a blue moon, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. And then I refer them to a good patent attorney or agent that I trust. But usually I try to talk them off the ledge with that. So that's what's going on there, Mike. So thank you for that question. Uh, Jeremy said, are there any examples of what a 3D prototype looks like? Yeah, I think there's there's some samples. If you go to InventRight and you, you click on the right links, you get to our design studio um, that you can find um, some examples there. I have to say that the work that I see for our students is is quite a bit better than the examples because we can't show, obviously, our students' products. I am not exaggerating. I am very impressed with the quality of the uh, of the design work and the 3D prototypes that our design studio does for our students. If my hand, hand is out here, it's because my dog is, is wanting pets. So <laughs> simultaneously help you out and give her pets for a minute or two. Um, so uh, yeah, you could take a look to see what some of them look like with Go to Invent right, and then I forget what you click on, but you can click around. You'll find our Design Studio. You can find some examples there. But I have to say that the examples that I see that we do for our students are absolutely amazing. I'm very very proud of that, and I'm very proud of our design team. Um, so, uh, how would, thoughtful Jones said, how would you respond to this from a CFO? That's this chief financial officer of a big company. First off, I don't know if the CFO is the right person, but sometimes you do what Hoover you can get a hold of if it's not a marketing manager. I'm involved in other big projects is what they said for the moment. There is so many things to manage. I will come back to you soon, best wishes. I love that. So that's a perfect example of not at this time. So they wouldn't have said that to you in a million years. What are you eating there, Piper? What are you licking your lips for? <laughs> She's like licking her lips. <laughs> um, it's my, my dog's down here, I'm not crazy um so what i love about that is they're saying i like this product and they're telling you exactly what i just said a minute ago i am overwhelmed with my job is what he's saying so most people in corporate america these days they're doing the work of like two or three people it's brutal i've personally never worked in corporate america i've been self-employed my entire life i'm 53 i've been working from home since i was 23. Um, I don't know any difference. So when people says, I'm struggling working from home and focusing, I'm like, I don't even look around my room. I don't I don't look beyond my monitors. That's how focused I'm not bragging, guys, because I have I have things I could tell you about that I'm not good at. But I do not get distracted. I'm not never tempted to go downstairs and watch TV. Um, If maybe I get something to eat, but it's for two seconds and I run back to my chair and then I'm eating it while I'm working. Um, But. You know, people are really, really busy. And so I would just, that's great. So I'd basically go, okay, I'm going to follow up with him. I'm going to reach out to all my other companies and then I'll spin back around to him. But I think when people are new, the impatience and the anxiety of that just got to get over it. And the best way to get over it and stop thinking about it and focusing on this one guy that obviously liked your product, he was stupendously, fantastically, Honest and that's very he's very professional with you. You should respect that. Um okay, so let me see what else you expanded on it. I didn't notice that. That e- the email is received March 2022. Okay, and because of life of a life event, I am just able to start corresponding again. Okay, that's fine. So okay, great. This is back in March. So it was April, May, June, July, August, September, October. So this like seven months ago. Um, even though we had a few back and forth emails, not sure how to re-engage because I had not followed up in many months. That's not a problem at all. So what I would do, especially if he he wrote that in an email, that what he wrote is, I'm involved in other big projects for the moment, so there there is so many things to manage, I'll come back to you soon. So what I would do is, if he said that in an email, I'd forward that email where he said that, just checking back with you, Bob, or whatever his name is, and I know you were super swamped before. Want to spin back around, see if you could take a look at this project and see if you um, are still interested, and if you have the time. I know you're super busy. And then it, make sure your cell sheet's attached. Make sure he sees the prior email and what he wrote. Ma- don't make him dig around for that prior email with a cell sheet or something. So you're being a professional when you did that. I don't think he waited too long. It's perfectly fine. If he was really interested in in your in your product and really liked your product he'll still be interested now the question is does he have enough time okay and also you might suggest if he does show interest or he says he's still busy is there somebody else you can introduce me to that that might have the time i don't want to be pushy but is there somebody that you can direct me to that might um have time to take this on you know, you, you, it seems like you think it might be a good idea to at least further investigate, you know, if you don't have time to further investigate. Um, all right. Uh, my two cents is their handle. Andrew, thanks for answering. And there are regular uh, our questions every Monday. You're welcome. You're always so kind on thanking me about that. Um, here's mine. I've started... I started to connect with my hit list, people on LinkedIn. If a company on my list is not on LinkedIn, should I be concerned? No, I, I, I know other co-founder says, oh, if they're not on social media, don't waste your time. I, I don't think that's true. I think that there's plenty of industries where they're, the employees at that company just aren't on LinkedIn. And I think that's perfectly fine. You can try to dig up their email. You can give them a call. I don't think that's a cause for concern. I would, I, when I see that though, I would do kind of a little, a two second double take and go, hmm, okay. And maybe i Google the name of their, some of their products I would see. And if you if you start to see like their products showing up in a lot of places, and then go, well, they're qualified. They're in major retailers, they're qualified. They're people at this company, sometimes especially old school companies, um, they're just not on LinkedIn, you know? And, and that's perfectly fine. Um, some people only go on LinkedIn when they're looking for um, when they're looking for a job, you know. And so even if they are on LinkedIn, they're not going to go on there for three or four months because they only check in every three or four months. Other people are on there every day. So you get to as many people as you can on LinkedIn, and then you also use email, and then you also use the phone. You use all three um, methods. I had a student I was talking to last week, and he had and not all you guys need to go this far. You know, I always say I have twenty or thirty companies. He had about sixty companies. And he had about four contacts in each company. So that was two hundred and forty contacts. He's reaching out to all of them via email and all of them via LinkedIn. And he's gonna he's picking up the phone and calling them as well. He's hitting all three angles. Okay. Um Let's see. But I don't think that them being not on being LinkedIn. I think you do a two-second double take and go, okay, are they really a big company? Are they big enough? And you Google around names of their product, where they distribute, and you're like, oh yeah, they're in major retailers. Okay, good. Not concerned about that anymore. But if you then Google around, and go, oh damn, this company is a lot smaller than I thought. Um, you know, now some of the if you go to the really big companies, it can be problematic because there there can be 400 people in the company. You know, and it's like, oh, geez, which marketing manager do I reach out to? You know, and some of our students, if it's a company they really want, they'll reach out to 10 or 15 people in the company. Just make the connection. Right. And if somebody connects with you, let's say only three people connect with you, you can ask who would be the right person if you you know they're not the right person. Right. Would you or would you be able to introduce me to the right person? So um, I think one of the reasons why inventors um, fail is because they're not doing the right things and they're not reaching out in mass the way they should be. I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you guys, most inventors, they they file patents, throw a bunch of money to patent attorney. Um, they piddle around with prototypes and yeah, working on a prototype for two years is fiddling around um, and they don't do anything else. And then when they when they do make an effort to reach out, um they have terrible marketing materials and they reach out to two or three of their favorite companies they don't have good marketing materials and they're reaching out to 20 or 30 companies you know and then they're reaching out to many people in the same company right um very few inventors are doing that and so that's why when you look at our testimonial page on InventRight, why we have all the success because people ask us to help them and we I don't like to use the word force but we forced them we encouraged them we guided them Is a better way word to say to take action because most inventors don't take action very few inventors take action taking action building a prototype and filing a patent with a patent attorney is not taking action okay it is but it won't get you where you need to go and people people talk to us like they'll talk to sylvia and dana who do sales and they say, people say this all the time. Well, I'm really far along. And Dana or Sylvia say, well, where are you? Well, I filed a patent. I'm like, okay, that doesn't mean you're really far along. That means you threw a bunch of money to a patent attorney. You did basically next to no work. They did all the work. And now you're really far along. Um, that's not really far along, guys. It's actually a mistake, because you should have filed a provisional patent and then you know and and you don't even need an attorney to do it, you can do it yourself, you can use our software and you can see if there's interest um, now, I know a lot of you have filed patents, so I'm not saying it's a mistake it most of the time it was though, but you just need to re change your thinking. Most people think I have an idea, so I need to file a patent that's logical, but nobody gave them that advice. they just assume that they're like oh it's so logical but now you're hearing me talk about how you think about it differently and you're like oh maybe that wasn't so logical maybe you didn't know what your options were maybe you felt like i think that a lot of inventors have false beliefs they feel like if they got a patent it validates their idea is a good idea it doesn't do that at all it just validates that you're paying for your patentary's kids college education and that the patent office gave you a patent. It doesn't mean it's manufacturable at a reasonable price. It has marketable features. It doesn't mean any of that. So a lot of people come to false conclusions and I don't know why they do that. If you said, oh, I wanna learn how to sell on Amazon, you wouldn't make all sorts of assumptions. You take a course, right? You would never, people go, well, I'll make all these assumptions, but for some reason with inventing, people make all these assumptions and most of them are incorrect and it costs inventors tons and tons of money. The other one is going with these invention scam companies you've just googled them you'd you'd know oh my god i'm gonna run screaming that's a that's a, a red flag that's a nightmare there um uh, minister smith is their handle hi andrew i'm finding out that a few companies on my list doesn't accept outside submissions any longer their website still has new innovation submission portal listed is this common that's really odd. Usually if they stop receiving ideas and they had a a portal or a submission page on their website, they would take it down. Um, if you're getting conflicting information, I would totally ask for permission. I would reach out to them on LinkedIn, different people on LinkedIn. I'd reach out via email. And if there's actual submission portal listed, I would submit through that too, you know? So, um, Sometimes, you know, people go, well, I called and the gatekeeper said no, they don't receive ideas. And then I'm like, ah, reach out to somebody via LinkedIn. And they're like, Andrew, that worked. They said, yeah, sent over my sell sheet. So it's, it's definitely a good idea to check with more than one person in a company and definitely don't take the gatekeeper's word for it because sometimes they just don't know what to do with you and they they might make a false statement. Um, so. They, they some, some gatekeepers, they don't even know what the word licensing means, you know, which is perfectly fine. But if you were to go on LinkedIn and you get a couple names and one guy's Bob Smith and he's a marketing manager, you ask for Bob Smith, you get right past the gatekeeper. Maybe you could talk to Bob Smith or leave him a voicemail or ask for the gatekeeper for Bob Smith's email. Maybe they'll give it to you. Maybe only one in five times you ask and they give it to you. So. The the thing that I think a lot of inventors when they're new, they don't understand is what you think is failing is just work. Like, let's say you randomly, that's just one of many little odd tips that we give. Let's say every time you called, you asked for the person. They said, well, I put you through his voice. And say, oh, hey, you know, can you, can you give me his email too? I think it might be better. He's probably busy. Better drop him an email. Let's say only one in five times you asked that the gatekeeper would give you that. Well, then, out of 30 companies, you'd have six email addresses direct just from doing that. And then you get more because sometimes they list it on LinkedIn. You get more using other techniques. And you try a combination of things. And before you know it, you got in most of the time to 95% of the companies. And then, you know, for the one or two companies, you tried every which way. You're like, okay, I give up on those. But but you've reached out. You've tried everything with those, you know. one of our i think i've told you guys this story before in this live stream but one of our coaches scott he reached he had this one company he was really he's like this is such a perfect match he did everything over like six or seven months then he's like i'm not gonna give up i'm gonna reach out to them on their facebook which is not a typical because there's somebody managing facebook for big companies right and he asked and it took about three days to get back and they said no we don't receive outside he said great finally I gotta know he couldn't get an answer from anybody. And, if I, and he was happy. He was so happy. Finally got a no. So now I can move on. Um that's not a typical approach, by the way, but just he, he just didn't want to give up till he got a no, you know, which is a good good attitude. Um, but you know, uh minister, I I I think it's weird that they um Uh, it says something different. I don't know where you heard they didn't. But in that case, it's conflicting information. Just try to get it in. Don't think about it too much. Nobody's going to yell at you for asking if they will receive your idea. You know, so people are too timid. And it takes a little while to get used to it. That's why people like to typically start on LinkedIn um, because they get going and stuff. And then they work their way up to, you know, emails and phone calls and things. Um, Tony says, Um, Regarding LLCs, wondering if I could just use my first initial, which with my middle name and last name or must be first and last. Well, Excuse me. What was the advantage of using our name for the LLC? There is no advantage for using a name for your LLC, Tony. What I was saying is. In most states, in the United States that I'm aware of, if um, if you don't have an LLC, you know, it's perfectly fine. Um, you know, and everything that I share with you guys today should not be considered legal advice. Please consult an attorney for legal advice. That's my little disclaimer. I always forget to say it at the beginning, so I'll say it now. It's probably better I say it around the middle because, you know, there's less people at the beginning and then it just the audience just grows over the hour. Um, but what I was saying is, you know, you don't have to create this like, oh, in the United States, I think we have this attitude, anybody can make it. So in Europe and in Australia, they, they see with some companies, you still get that, well, who are you? You're not a big company. Who are you? What's your credentials? Where's your portfolio? They never ask for that in the US and Canada or European companies that are big in the US and Canada because they just want a good new idea. So They really don't care. So your email signature could literally be um, Bob Smith um, product developer, Bob Smith designs, because you put designs behind it, design what? Right? you put your first name last name designs you could be doing pet toys one day and medical device the next day it always works so Bob Smith designs a gmail because don't use a hotmail because that's just a seriously degraded service whenever I see anybody trying to use hotmail I am not promoting Google in any way shape or form because I think there's a lot of evil things about Google if you ask me and I don't care if they're listening to this or whatever because they, they own freaking YouTube but i I don't agree with all the things they do um so I'm not but Gmail' is very reliable what I like about Gmail is that um, Gmail is is very commonly used by people in corporate America. Even they, they, you know, they're you think they use just their their corporate email, but they're using their Gmail um, email sometimes for certain things. So it just creates a certain order of professionalism. So so, Bob, so the person today's Bob Smith. So email signature. So let's say Bob Smith, product developer, BobSmithDesigns at Gmail dot com. And then your phone number, which rings to your cell phone, which doesn't have, back in the day when we were doing this, like people would like a uh, call people up and then have like a home answering machine with kids screaming on. I'm like, you can't do that. Is this the number you're giving to the companies? They're like, yeah, I'm like, what are you thinking? So make it your cell phone and just say, hey, this is Bob Smith, Bob Smith Designs. Please, leave, I can't get your call right now. Please leave a voicemail, I'll get back to you promptly. Your whole family and friends will know who it is. So you're done, that's your company identity. Do I think that you need to have LLC behind it? Hell no. In order for them to take you seriously, do we say that when you do, so Tony, you're a little misunderstanding what I was saying, because I do say that often, is you know in all the states that I'm aware of, I might be wrong, but you, if you use your full surname and not a fictitious business name statement, so if you said um, uh, uh, Bozo Designs, let's see, nobody knows who's running that. So now you're hiding behind a name. So if you haven't filed a fictitious business name statement in an LLC, you know, if you use your full surname, Bob Smith Designs, then you're not violating any local or county laws or stuff to the best of my knowledge. Don't quote me on that. Please check with your attorney on that. But I've never, ever, ever had anybody ever get into trouble with that. Not even remotely, nor would I be concerned about it for two milliseconds. Um, so I'm not saying it, your LLC needs to be under your full surname. You can make that whatever you want because you're going to be filing a fictitious business name statement that says like, you know, um InventRight, you know, Andrew Kraus doing business as InventRight LLC, for example, right? Um so the the LLC part comes in that we say you should never sign a contract under your own name, but you could do that later when you get deep into a contract and then file an LLC. Because I've talked about it before, in some states it's ten bucks, and some states it's it's more than a thousand. But it's still something you need to maintain. It's something you know. So you could do it in the midst of, you know, closing your first deal, and just do what I said with your full surname in your email signature. And I don't think that would hurt you for a second. Our students do it all the time. So hopefully that was helpful, Tony. Um, Leaf said, uh, "Hey Andrew, how do?" how to go about licensing an idea that implements published, but not patented research. Okay. Do I have to get permission from the author or pay them royalties? Um, Interesting. I, you know, so what he's saying is it's, it's something that was published um, and he's going to build his invention on that, or it includes that, or what have you, um, I really, I can't possibly answer that without knowing what was published, what category, all that sort of thing. <clears throat> um, you know, I mean, you could make the argument that if they published it, because if something is in the marketplace for more than a year and nobody got a patent on it, that's public domain. So if this document was was uh, again, not providing legal advice here was published ten years ago, and you're going to like take like whatever was published and then base an invention or it's partially based on that. um they lost their window already that's public domain, you know now you don't know if there's patent pens and things like that um, okay, so hopefully that was helpful leaf The other part of Leaf's question is what technical drawing software would you recommend for novices? um probably wouldn't recommend any um people say you know it depends on if you something you want to learn go for it but people say google sketchup i played around with it and i was like this isn't as easy as people are oh google sketchup is free it's super easy it's not called google sketchup anymore it's like sketchup there's another company they got different levels but used to be free and it's not owned by google anymore i don't think it's owned by somebody else, and they have like a free level, paid level. There's a ton of software out there, but here's the thing. Do you need drawing software? So if you can pay somebody to do a virtual prototype, you can show them. You can find a product out there and go, well, here's, here's this dog toy, and I am I changed it like this. And you could do a very crude sketch or just give a written description of how you're changing it. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's enough for this 3D designer to make a 3D rendering our students do that all the time with our design studio so the question is do you have to teach yourself drawing software in order to be an inventor absolutely not could it be beneficial yes um is it right for everybody no some people just not computer people or not drawing people they might not be able to draw a stick figure and they might be like this this is irritating me i can't really do it and then other people like um one of our coaches um, Keanu, he's a younger guy, and he didn't know. He never used CAD software before. He never designed anything before. He really got into it. He got—I don't know what software he uses, but he's—he designs pocket knives. He's licensed like, don't quote me on this exact number. I think it's like 35 pocket knives at this point that he's licensed. It's craziness. And it, I've seen his his drawings. It's a little. That's simpler though. But um well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to take that away from him. It's probably not that simple. But um, sometimes it's. For things that are very, very three-dimensional, it is three-dimensional pocket knife, but it's kind of flat. And then you got, but anyway, it's a little might be a little bit easier. He might give me a hard time about that, but because he's way more competent at, at computer drawing than I am, he didn't know it, and he really likes it. And because he did so many knives, that really helped him. So I'm not going to say don't do it, but to think that you can't like be an inventor without using a technical drawing software, not at all. Um, so whatever the predecessor of Google SketchUp was, I, I would have to Google it here and see. I don't think it's owned by Google anymore. I think it's just called SketchUp. Um, and that I've heard that that's a nice, simple one, but there's a bunch of other ones, too. You might get really frustrated. You might just get really into it, you know. But if you get really into it and you're messing around with that for 10 months when you could have been putting that same amount of effort and working and licensing your products, you got to decide, was, was that worth it? And it may or may not be worth it, and don't. And if you can't do it and it's not your thing, don't let that he- hold you up. Find people. You can pay people a few bucks to do a, a 3D drawing or a rendering or draw something for you. Or, you know, you. Could, one of our coaches did a tutorial on how to use Google Slides. It's like kind of Google Slides, kind of like PowerPoint. How to um, hack together real products, like. I think she did a, I think it was a dog toy, just as an example. We talk about dog toys too much. Our students aren't working on many other things, but, um, and she kind of like cut a product and then cut another product and kind of looked Frankenstein, but it was enough to relay to somebody else to do something more beautiful. So you can do things like that. So it might not be a drawing program. You might just learn some basic um, editing skills where you can merge some products and it might look a little hokey, but that's enough for a 3D designer to do something beautiful. And that's the way you relay ideas. So don't think the only way you can relay ideas is to use a technical drawing software. There's a lot of other unique ways of doing it. Okay, Um, so thank you for that, Leaf. Hopefully that was encouraging. Uh, William said, oh no, another As Seen on TV question. (laughs) Yeah, we, (laughs) hey, you must be attending regularly. I'm like, I get so many, I guess, you know, it seems like a disproportionate amount of As Seen on TV and LLC questions. LLC is a limited liability company, um, but that's okay. Um, oh no, another asking TV question. What do you think about going to scouts or feeder companies for asking TV as opposed direct to All Star, Top Dog, Emson, um, uh, Kubani Brothers, etc. I, I think it's generally I would just recommend going direct to these companies. Um, if you use a feeder company, which is we call them, and sometimes people aren't clear, like their website makes it look like they're just another As you know, TV company, but they would never spend $300,000 on an ad. You know, what they do is they try to kind of find inventors, and then they get them locked up in a some sort of contract. And then they try to sell it to an as you know, TV company. Maybe they do some testing and things to go, hey, I've done a little bit of testing. Usually it's just like an email test or something simple. And then they try to sell it to a bigger company. I mean, I think it's possible to license a product that way. Here's the thing I would never do. I would never give them a penny. And I would never, um, we had this rash of, this one particular feeder company, like reaching out to a lot of our students and everybody's like, what do you think of this guy? What do you think of this guy? And I'm like, I can't comment on specific companies, but if if they're asking for money from you and this guy wasn't, but then that's a red flag. So some of the feeder companies, they say they have these connections and all this and lo and behold, but in order to present it to some of these other companies, we're gonna need this and this and this, and that's gonna be $30,000 and they're going to charge you for it. Well, that's kind of a red flag, okay? Um, I've also seen from one of these feeder companies uh, an agreement that said licensing agreement at the top, but when I read through it, it's clearly an aging agreement, and it was asking for $3,000 from the inventor. So don't fall for shysters like that that kind of like intrigue you with all their supposed context and then ask you for money. I wouldn't give them a dime. It's not the way licensing works. Um, but, I mean, some of them are, you know, I could see you going to a, a feeder company and they don't ask you for any money. And you be very clear. So what's your plan? And, you know, are you going to lock me up just for a month while you show it to them? What are you going to do there? If they start trying to sell you services, that's a serious red flag. Okay. Um, huh? Huh? Uh, Derek said, just curious, what's the fastest deal you've ever seen time-wise and in contracts, what's the longest deal? So these are extremes guys. Um, the average, I would say from the time you get interest to the time you sign a contract average, um, is one to three months. Um, I think there was one that we had a long time ago that after two days after starting to reach out, they closed the deal. I was gonna say two weeks, but I remember one was two days. It was the first company they called and it was within two days and they showed interest in the product. So that's not a done deal, but I think the deal happened very quickly too. Completely not 100% normal. Um, as the longest, probably something around two years or something, um where the company dragged the inventor wasn't pushing it forward they just needed to wait and then they came back forth and then eventually they 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 signed up those these are real extremes but i would say the average um i wouldn't say i talked to our negotiation coach just not too long ago about this the average from the time you get interest to the time you close a deal this is the time you get interest okay um one to three months is average Um, But do I see sometimes six, seven, eight months? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, um, What I'm seeing these days, what's kind of trending, is they're taking longer. And not as much right now, but definitely during COVID. So with all the supply chain issues, and still, still now, but not quite as bad, And the reason why the deals are taking longer, the companies, they wanna make sure, okay, we wanna make sure we can make this at a reasonable price. You can make anything, but can we make it a reasonable price people will pay? So they need to go to their, usually a contract manufacturer in China, they usually use regularly for other products they have manufactured. And even these big companies during the COVID time, and a little thereafter, um, it was even though, geez, this is a big, the, the contract manufacturer in China is like, you're a big company, right? They were too busy. And too overwhelmed to get quotes in a timely fashion for the big company that you're trying to license to they were getting them they were just taking longer so that was making the deal take longer. And then, when the company would sign the deal, it would take them longer to launch because it had to come over on a ship and all the ships are getting stuck stuck in the dock. And it's just taking longer to get it manufactured and all that, and I think that's still true to a certain extent but but that's okay you know. I was noticing the deals, just as many deals were getting done during COVID, just as many deals were getting done of the recession of 2008, um, just as many deals, I think, done. I think we're, we're going to come across some hard times in 2023. I think people are going to get laid off. And, and my take on that is, okay, so what? You're going to license just like you always did. And maybe the company will sell 90% of what they would have sold in better times. Who cares? That's fine. All the work is on them. So, um, so uh, yeah, I would say that deals on average are taking a little bit longer to happen now. But here's the deal. They really depend on you. The American public and worldwide, too, we have an insatiable appetite for new products. If a company does not come out with new products, in most product categories, they will die, especially during hard times. They need new products. Now, here's the beautiful thing for them. It only it doesn't cost them a dime to look at your ideas. Well, the time of the employee to look at it. And so you're the free R&D department, free research and development department. They only have to pay you if they like the idea. So any company that isn't open to open innovation and receiving ideas from the outside, they are archaic. It's ridiculous. Um, and most are these days, but some still aren't and that's okay some you think they aren't because you just called the gatekeeper and then you reach out somebody on linkedin and they're like oh yeah send over your sales sheet i'll look at it same company told you different things um so uh so derek that was a fun question so yeah i think two days is the shortest maybe a couple years is the longest just because the company was busy doing things and the inventor took a long time to check back and maybe they went did it happen a couple times those are extremes But one to three months is typical. Um, uh, Miss V says, hey, Andrew, is a sell sheet sometimes called a flyer as long as the content is different? Some designers seem to think so. Um, I would never use the word flyer with a company that you're trying to license to. If you want to use that with a graphic designer, I think that's fine. Um, some people call it a tear sheet or a sell sheet. Not everybody calls it a sell sheet. So, But I would never use the word flyer. It has images of like somebody handing something out in front of a store. Or um, it just doesn't sound professional. It sounds something like a high schooler would be handing out a flyer. Hey, you know, we got this uh, car wash coming up. You know, that's a flyer, right? But if you want to use the word flyer with graphic designers, I think that's fine. And I would just say a one-page flyer perfectly fine. I think some graphic designers don't know what a sell sheet is. Not everybody uses the word sell sheet. You know, and that's that's okay. Um, Antonio, hey, Andrew. Sorry, my nose is itchy, guys. Andrew, uh, do you think it makes sense to reach out to also to companies that make custom branded products? For example, if you invent and then it says message retracted. Okay, so... (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Oh, here we go. If you invent a new towel, I see the rest of it here. Contacting companies that make custom branded towels for hotels or restaurants. That's um, just an example, I'm sure. Yeah, guys, don't disclose anything confidential on the live public live stream. Um, yeah, I mean, what you want to do is go to where they are selling um Companies won't do what they don't already do. I remember I had this one student. I think I've mentioned this before on here. And the company he had interest from sold at big box retailers like Walmart and Target. And he was trying to tell me that on his next call with them, he wanted to tell them they should give the customer the ability to monogram each one with their initials. And I'm like, dude, they're selling like tens and hundreds of thousands of units to big box stores. When you look at their product line, they're not doing anything like that. They're not going to do that. They're not going to change the way they distribute, or to do custom one-off things. But if that's what they're already doing, of course. So they're going to do whatever they do. And like Andrew, but my product's new, and they're not doing that now. Yo, I know that. I know that. But you can't like if they're selling in these seven retailers, and you say you should sell in this other country you don't sell in, or in a whole different. You should sell at 7-Eleven, and they don't sell at 7-Eleven or uh, convenience stores. Well, that's defeats the whole purpose of licensing whole purpose of licensing is tapping into what they already have their distribution and they're making somewhat similar products and they're tapping their manufacturing their money and their existing distribution you're not going to be telling them they should do things dramatically different with distribution than normally do so um you know if you had a customer uh, you said in your example, a new towel, contact companies that make custom branded towels for hotels. Yeah, or restaurants. So, yeah, if the if the, if the company is making towels, and for, in this case, it's not individual monogramming, but monogramming the name of the hotel or putting the logo of the hotel, and that's basically a promotional product, and that's what they're already doing, yeah, that's a great match, and that's who you would find because you're tapping into companies already doing that. So that's a perfect example. I think your example is great. Um, hmm. uh, Ms. V said, when asked, why don't marketing managers provide feedback for viewing your sell sheet? So I think there's a lot of reasons. I remember I talked to this one guy and it was at the hardware show and he had these uh, gardening products and he, he was telling me, because I'd known him for a long time, and. Every time at the hardware show, I go by and say hi. And he knows who we are at Invent, right and stuff. And it, this was his, just his particular take. And he said to me, he said, I never, ever provide feedback. This is his take. I'm not saying this is the case with all of them. Because he had gotten into it with a bunch of different inventors where he did provide feedback. And then they get this whiny and they got literally, the inventors got in an argument with him. He's like, oh, my God. Now, instead of just looking at their product and just saying no or providing some helpful feedback and moving on, now he created a chain of five or six or seven or eight emails with an inventor arguing with him. So that was his particular take. So I guarantee you that's one reason why companies don't do it because they've had a bad experience with an unprofessional inventor. So, one thing that you can do, which some inventors don't, when they say no, you could say, "I, I fully accept you no, that you don't believe this is the right match for your, your company or for your product line. Um, and I don't expect this, but if you have a second or two to write a sentence or two, but anything you think is wrong or off about this product, um, or it's just not right for you, that would be great, but I totally don't expect it. I look forward to sending you more ideas. It's the way you ask. I don't think anybody would be upset. And if, and if, you, if you can't respond, just don't reply. That's perfectly acceptable. Like say that. But when you get inventors like starting to stalk them and getting upset and saying stupid things that that's when they go, well, sh- this isn't worth it. This is not worth the aggravation. Um, imagine you get, 100 ideas a month and every inventor wants feedback I have plenty of inventors that have gotten great feedback from companies unsolicited where they're just nice and they're like well this isn't right for me but I've got a few competitors I think it would be right for them can you believe that isn't that cool so um, but when you ask for feedback again going with the numbers game let's say you ask for feedback and you had 30 companies and only one in five gave you feedback well you'd have six companies that gave you feedback, that might be incredibly valuable. Now, the other thing I'll say is, sometimes a marketing manager will say something stupid. Now, I'm, you're not gonna, I'm, I shouldn't use the word stupid. They'll give a reason that doesn't really make sense. I've talked to invent students of ours where I look at the product, I really know the product, and they tell me what the company said, or I look at the email, and I'm like, yeah, that makes no sense. Sometimes they sometimes they just felt like they needed to give you a reason, but the reason isn't really making sense. It's kind of a BS reason. They're not BSing you. They're just feel like they need to give you an answer. And it's not now if five companies tell you that same thing, well, then it might make sense. So don't sometimes I, I see this happen where an inventor will get feedback from one company and now they're all upset. Or they're like, oh, well, they're smart, so they must be right. No, they're not right quite often. Um, so uh, if they were so right and so creative, they would be coming up with ideas, and they wouldn't need you guys, but they need you guys. Um, so, um, you know, the other reason why they're not going to give you feedback, Miss V, is they're too freaking busy. They can barely spend the 10 seconds it took to look at your sell sheet and reply, not a right match, or not at this time, or not for us. You know, and then some of them don't reply and you need to send it multiple times before they finally reply. And that's normal as well. Um, but they're just too busy, you know, um, and they don't owe it to you. They don't owe you anything. They, they they already accepted your idea to take a look at it. And then they gave you response, hopefully. So if they don't want to give you details, then and they might be worried about that you know, that that you're going to start getting in an argument with them and this causes them grief. They don't need more of that in their life. Um, So, but if you're very polite and you just basically say, I will accept if you don't give me any feedback and I accept your no as well. And I look forward to sending you more ideas, but if you could write a sentence or two, anything you think might be helpful for me, I really appreciate, but I'm totally not expecting it. Looking forward to working with you more, you know, they'll be like, wow, they're so professional. Now you're at the top of their list. Whereas that inventor that was arguing with them, they're just going to delete every email because they're like, they might get an, an idea that they like from that inventor, but they'll say no, because the inventor was an ass, you know, um, uh, you know, and the inventor was like giving them grief, you know, Um uh, Andy said, "Who should, who specifically should I request to speak with when I'm trying to pitch to a company? Usually, it's a marketing manager. You know, if you don't ask for a marketing manager for a particular category, like, can I talk to your marketing manager for your, um, for your line of cat products, or for your such and such line of kitchen accessories? Because you know that your product fits into that particular product line. Um, if it's a very small company, it could be the CEO, but." nine and a half times out of 10, you do not want it to be the CEO, you want it to be a marketing manager. You can also reach out to somebody in sales because they have to respond because they're in sales and maybe they'll walk it over to marketing. Yeah, this is kind of cool. So so sales and marketing, marketing being the main focus, you can't get through to them. Do sales or just do sales in addition. I think that's great. Um, Uh, So thinking Chaka is the handle, do you suggest a non-disclosure agreement when submitting a sell sheet? So again, anything I share with you today should not be considered legal advice, but our students don't do that. They file a provisional patent application and they just, once they get permission to send it, they send it. And your provisional patent application, the email paper trail is protecting you. But just imagine you're a company and the so, inventor says you need to sign this non-disclosure agreement. Whatever I send, you need to keep confidential. What if they what if they're working on something similar? They don't know what you're sending yet. It's not a reasonable ask. Now later, if you want to send some CAD drawings or details and things, then you could ask them to sign an NDA. But now it's like the one in fifty that they showed interest in, or the one in hundred they showed interest in, right? Um, so you're going to feel like you're beating your head up against a brick wall. If you ask them all to sign an nda ndas are really common in europe they are not common in the us Um, they just don't want that liability that you know i can't tell you what i'm sending you but whatever i said you need to keep it confidential It's like what kind of position does that put them in think about it and attorneys quite often will tell you like oh don't but they've never licensed anything they don't know what the hell they're talking about and so you can take that legal advice or you can take our practical advice and you can actually try to license products or you can just Beat your head up against a brick wall. You you get to choose. But what I'm giving you is not legal advice. I'm just telling you what we and our students do at InventRight. Okay. Uh, Keep it real. Says do, do companies ask to see PPA filings? Usually not early on. Um, and if they do, you're going to change the subject. And you're going to get on the phone and talk with them. A lot of people think like, oh, we need to see your PPA. It's like, well, let's talk about the product first. I'd be happy to get in the IP, but let's talk about the product first. You get on the phone, and you talk with them. And half the companies that say, most of them don't ask for it up front, but the ones that do, they don't even ask you for it on the call. They didn't know how to start the conversation. Um, and other ones, they, they wanted to see it. But let's talk about the product. So it's not... It's not like, oh, if you show them your PPA, they're going to screw you or try to figure out a way around you. It's it's that it's the wrong deal flow. It's the wrong way to move a deal forward. And I'll say that if every time you just do whatever a company asks, you'll probably never close a licensing deal. You need to guide them as much as they're guiding you. That It's that touchy that even all our coaches, when our students get interest, they reach out to our negotiation coach. We have a specialist that does just that because when you're new to it, but then our, we hopefully the, our students that get interest from companies, they start to get it and go, oh, I see what you're doing there. I can do that myself next time. So we want to empower our students so that they don't need us and our negotiation coach in the future. But at the beginning, you definitely do. Um, Alexandre said, uh, uh invent right team is the real deal do yourself a favor contact them you will save a lot of time frustration and money alex from montreal former student so cool thank you man i'll i'll, I'll slip you 20 bucks later um, but thank you for saying that i appreciate that um y- y- alex is the only person saying nice stuff about us and i'm not going to personally take all the credit i give credit to our coaches or customer service staff everybody that that we treat inventors right when so many other people don't. Um, Uh, Iron Reed Saint says, "Do I need a patent bag question mark like for a backpack or camera bag? I think I'm just gonna ju- I'm just gonna guess as what you're talking about there. Um, I'm guessing you're talking about do I need a patent on a bag, like a backpack or a camera bag? Um, it's very hard to patent bags, but if it has new functionality and utility, and you can claim that, you can patent it. But just saying, oh, I'm gonna put a pocket here and there, and it doesn't serve any particular purpose, then that's really hard to patent. But if it has utility and functionality, I remember I had some people with some interesting, like a purse, and then certain things happen inside the bag and it organizes things just a certain way. But if it's just a bag and it's a regular backpack and it just, oh, I'm gonna throw an extra pocket there, but it doesn't have a particular purpose or use or functionality, uh, no, but if it has functionality utility, yeah, you can patent a bag um uh the I would say bags are a little bit a little bit harder to license the companies there you know what's nice about it is that they can look at it, and with bags, there's no tooling it's all done by hand. I mean, they're going to they're going to cut out like the 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 pieces and then they're going to sew it by hand so they can get up and running very cost effectively with bags so that's what's great about bags. Um, but then what's kind of not is some of those companies they're just they're not really used to dealing with patents and stuff some of them, um, although that's changed in the fashion industry and in bags and stuff so it's possible, definitely, without a doubt. Um. <clears> huh. <throat> Streaming Now says, that's their handle. If other people are after your InventRight students, that means InventRight is doing something right. You know, people are more mostly cool, but sometimes our competitors will, will say certain things. And I think they're just jealous because our students are kicking ass. And they don't, like, you go to their website, I'm like, I don't see any success stories. What you doing? You know? Um, so, yeah, I, I think you're right. If, if, if people are trying to troll our InventRight students, they know we're doing something right the thing is our students are smarter than that you know um you know the mass majority of the time they they see through it they're like why would i want to sign up for your stupid service i already know how to do that you know um so uh mario said any suggestions for what companies reach out for to an idea in the adult industry Yeah, you know, we've had a lot of students work on products in the adult uh, like adult toys industry and stuff uh, as long as it's not something that's illegal um, we'll help our students with it, you know, if a particular coach wasn't comfortable moving, but all our coaches are cool. So um, you want to license to the companies making adult novelties or products that are selling in the retailers where people buy those sort of things like Adam and Eve is a big website for that sort of thing, other websites. So it's the same way of making your list of companies. You find the retailers and you find the companies selling those retailers and you license them. I found it to be a pretty good um, category and companies are pretty open. And usually people are pretty unique in what they're doing there. So there's usually some patentable subject matter. So I think it's a decent industry to work in. Mr. Viral Content, I paid 700 for the program. I don't know what program. I don't know if he's talking about us because we don't have a program for someone. I couldn't keep up the payments. I didn't know I was supposed to put the invention on pause. That mean I'm just out the 700. I don't know if you're talking about somebody else or about us, but I would definitely reach out. Um, Drop me an email at andrew at inventright.com and um, Heather will look up your account and say, I was a student. What can I do to come back? And what's you know, what can you do for me? If that was the case and you came across uh, financial hard times, we're very good about accommodating people. So um, but yeah, drop an email to Andrew Invent right. That is a general email that you know, Heather and Customer Service, she's been with us forever. She'll take a look at that. I mean she might ask me what I think or what have you. Um, but just say you're on a live stream and if you're talking about that was for us, I don't know if maybe you meant for one of these other companies or something, but um Let's see. Uh Kefek, who should I reach out to if I want to make apps for cell phones? Uh, most of you shouldn't be doing apps for cell phones. Um, and I, I don't mean what I mean by shouldn't be is I'll explain, I'll just keep it really short because I've done this talk before. Everybody and their grandmother has an idea for an app on a cell phone. Unfortunately, the companies that are doing those, they don't really respect inventors that much. You know, they're like, oh, God, another person with an idea on an app for a cell phone. And the problem with this, which is not the case with physical products, is they're like this guy. They're looking at you going this inventor. He thinks he's an idea. You know, he's being critical of you. And it's going to take six guys. In a room, a year at a program. So when inventors don't understand what's required to implement a certain type of app, the software geeks don't take you very seriously, um, and that's problematic. Now, if you were a professional software developer, I think you could license software apps just like anybody else. But they, they, the software guys, they don't really want ideas. Um, and so you, you, to work on a, on an app for a phone, you really should be a professional software developer, it's going to be very hard for you to license an app for a phone. If you have that background and you can geek out with them, oh, we're using this back end database and this and that, then they're going to respect you. But they just don't with people with ideas. Um, it's possible, but it's very difficult. You need a lot more to show them. For them to take you seriously and now you're into it for a lot of money um so i would recommend sticking with with physical products you can do services and other things stuff like that too but um i if you said i got an app for a cell phone and i got a gardening product or something for the home or something for automotive or something i'd say do any of those first before the app Um, so I'm i'm not saying it's impossible but i i find that You need a higher level of sophistication on how apps work in order for the software geeks to take you seriously. That's what it comes down to. Um, And it's very, very hard. And just forget about licensing to the big companies. There are plenty of small players, smaller players that are pretty big, that they're not the biggest, like a Microsoft or an Apple or something. And you you could license to them, but they just don't really take people with ideas seriously. Just that category. I'm not talking about other categories, just the apps. So um, I, I would generally try to work on something else. So Nabil, thank you for the com- for the nice comments. Um, Mario said, can adult toys be patented? Yeah, of course they ca- can, just like anything else. But it depends on the toy. What's its functionality? What's its utility? How does it work different than other things that are out there? And as I'll leave you guys with this, too. You don't patent a product. You patent pieces of it. So you're not going to just patent the adult toy, you're going to patent pieces of it. So what's your point of difference? You know, and you'll protect that, and nobody else can do exactly what you're doing. I want to remind you guys to check out inventright.com. We've got a ton of free resources on there. If you're on the web, if you're on your computer, that is, it's the big blue button in the upper right-hand corner. I never really surf much on my phone because I'm in front of my stupid computer all the time, and I don't know where to find it on there. But there's a free resources page on our site because on the phone it looks different, Right. Make sure to sign up for that. There's a ton of great free resources there. If you guys need help, go to right click on Contact Us, a book with Sylvia or Dana. They're super friendly, they're super kind. Even if you're not ready to to, to sign up and get coaching or mentoring or take that, you know, about it, you're like, okay, now I have a better understanding because they will not. Have, I mean, they might follow up with you once or twice, but they're going to be really kind. You might want to understand how we can help because we're really, really good at that um okay so i want to remind everybody to take care and keep inventing and um, please subscribe down below that's your way of saying thank you to me click on the notification button give it a thumbs up do all that stuff for me thank you and watch more of our show and give us some thumbs up and interact and ask questions and stuff all right take care everybody see you